this morning, we have um, guests with us today. Um, Erin Lorenz sings with us every, almost every week in the band, and her family is here this morning. Her dad, if you want to come up on up, Reverend, um, her father is a pastor in Minnesota. He's a United Methodist pastor. And also um, with them this morning is Liz, Erin's sister, if you want to wave, Liz, and Nancy, Erin's uh, mom. We are so thrilled that you are here with us this morning. Um, Reverend Darren Flink, Aaron's dad, is here, and we've asked him to say our morning prayer this morning, so he's going to do that shortly. Um, Reverend, you've been in Minnesota for about, um, serving for about 23 years, is that correct? Uh, it's a little bit more like 30. 30, wowza, okay, <laughs> yes. And so currently your church is First United Methodist Church in Worthington, is that right? Yes? That's, that's one of them. One of them, okay. And then... Um, but Reverend Flink also has a Master of Divinity from United Theological Seminary and a Doctorate of Divinity from uh, Drew University. But I think he might agree that the most important title is Dad and Grandpa. <laughs> is that right? To Evan, Wyatt, uh, Grant, Alex, and Ben. Today it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So we welcome you and your Thank sweet you. family, and we invite you on up to say our prayer with us I appreciate that. Thank you, Tracy and uh, Eric, for extending the invitation. Um, we've been down here a week, come down from Minnesota, and have to go back to Minnesota tomorrow. I understand the, yeah, I, <laughs> the weather there is about, uh, going to be about 20 degrees above zero, and uh, what is it, 70 today? Praise come, the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Well, it comes under the heading of what was I thinking, but anyway, uh, it's, it's a joy to be able to be here with you on this uh, Christ the King Sunday, and so let's just uh, take a minute. You've been you've been working on this series uh, of Kings and Kingdoms, and uh, ultimately it uh, it it concludes today with with the message that's being brought. And so um, I appreciated last week's example that your youth director brought uh, about uh, being a being a good example and who's looking up to you. And certainly today we look we look to Christ, who is our Lord and Savior as the, the prime example of how we walk, how we talk, and how we shape our lives. So let's, uh, let's pause just for a minute and come together in prayer. Lord God, we are grateful for this day and this, this season of thanksgiving. As we come together to worship and praise you, indeed you are a good God, and we're just grateful that you love and care for us so much. We thank you for sending us your son, Jesus, who gives us the opportunity to, to really see what it's like to, to love one another, to care for one another, to walk with one another. And so today, as we hear the, the message of hope once again, we pray that you would instill it within our own heart, that we would indeed seek after all those things that Jesus teaches us. Bless this community, Lord, and all of the events that they have coming up. We just ask your continued presence to be with them as they seek only one thing, and that is to serve you and you alone. So we lift this all up to you, Lord, in, in the name of your son, Jesus. And we offer that big one, amen, as all the people of God said. Amen. Thank you. Will you stand as we continue in our morning worship?
may be seated. So I'd like to invite the ushers forward for this morning's um, opportunity for giving our tithes and our gifts and our offerings. Um, and while they're coming forward, let's, let's pray together. Lord, you are so great. And we say that with the utmost meaning for that word. You, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we ask that you rule and reign in every part of our lives, every part. We offer these gifts this morning to you, to use for the glory of your kingdom, the glory of your name. Amen. Come set your rule and reign in all our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray, unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Thirst. We hunger and we thirst. We refuse to waste our. 
You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Wow, it's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning with you. What great energy. I miss being in worship with you in the, in the beginning of worship. And it's a joy to come in and see what is happening when I come in. But I tell you what, what's happening in those center classrooms each week is really exciting. And uh, it's just a joy to be with your kids, and your kids are awesome. And uh, we're learning things, and they're teaching me things, and I'm hoping I'm teaching them some things. And, uh, but they're learning how to worship, and they're learning how to have small groups together, and they're learning concepts and applying them into your lives. And some of your parents have even posted some videos and shared some things that they're learning some things and calling you out on some things that you would rather them not call you out on. So apologies in advance. But one of the most exciting things, I think they're learning to give and to serve. So we model our worship there exactly after the worship service here. So we, uh, we have a welcome, we do a worship song, they, they do a little bit more clapping and dancing and moving than you all do, but they have more energy. We do a passing of the peace, and we hand, uh, high five and fist bump and hug, and, and uh, we pray and we teach the Bible, and we also give an offering. And some folks have said, well, you know, they're three years old, they're four years old, they're fifth graders, you know, why do they need to have an offering? They don't even have any money, you know? But it's important for kids of all ages to, to be learning how to give of themselves, how to, to take something they would rather maybe take if they have a concept of money and, and go buy what they would like to buy, but rather to give to others. And each month we have a giving goal, an offering goal that ties in with our lesson. This month is, uh, is a Thanksgiving lesson. It's titled Thanks is the series. And, and so we've been helping to collect canned goods and collect money for the Ministry of Hope food drive as well. And so their initial goal was to get 50 items and to collect, uh, I think, $10 for a gift card. And this morning they had 118 items and $17.92. And I'm sure that we hit, went over that goal of 125 items that we bumped it up to and $25. So they are getting the concepts of giving and uh, it's because of what they see in you. And so I encourage you to let them search the cushions of the couches and the, and the cars and let them do some extra chores and earn some money to bring and give to the Lord and give to these, these missions that we're doing. So it's super fun being in there with them, but I, but I miss being in here with you guys and I'm excited about what we're sharing today on this Christ the King Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays of the whole church year. I was telling the kids just a minute ago, I love TV. And uh, we studied the golden calf this morning, and, and they were like, well, no one worships the golden calf anymore. And I go, well, no, but we worship other things sometimes, and some things other get in our way of worshiping God. And, and for one of those, for me, sometimes it can be TV. I have a, a very strict ritual I like to do when I get up, and, and, but if I'm being completely honest, some days I get side-railed. You know, I like to I, brush, I wash my face, I take all my medicines, I go make my cup of coffee and my breakfast, and I like to sit on the porch, and I like to watch my birds, and I record the birds that I see out there, and then I have my time of prayer. But there's some days when I get distracted, 
I get my cup of coffee. Instead of going on the back porch, I go to my favorite comfy chair, my TV chair. And if I'm being completely honest, I, some days I get sidetracked. And I watch that TV and forget to go out and do my prayer on the porch. Anybody else am I alone with that? So I was telling them that, but one of my favorite shows now is recent in the last two seasons, is a show called New Amsterdam. Anybody watch New Amsterdam? Yeah. It will make you laugh, make you cry in the span of 42 minutes. It's a drama based on the real-life experience of Dr. Eric Manheimer and his book called 12 Patients. And, and it, he was, uh, at a time, the chief medical officer of Bellevue Hospital in New York City one of the oldest, I think is the oldest hospital in New York City. And uh, he's portrayed on the show uh, by a guy named Dr. Max Goodwin. And so there's some spoilers here. So if you haven't seen it, I'm going to give away some of the plot. In the first season, uh, Max was walking around. He just newly named the medical officer. And his catchphrase was, how can I help? How can I help? He'd go into a situation. Now this, you know, so he's the top dog of doctors, right? He goes to a situation and says, how can I help? And he goes over another, there's like, in the show, there's like five fires going on at the same time for him to get fixed. How can I help? Over the course of this next season, in season two, the phrase becomes, we're going to break the rules and we're going to heal the system. So he's working outside of the box and he's trying to, to fix systemic problems in the healthcare and lives of people. And over the course of this time, everything doesn't go so great for Dr. Max Goodwin. He develops this severe cancer in his throat. His wife is pregnant and has troubles with her pregnancy. She makes it through the pregnancy, gives birth in their apartment. They're being transported. Again, spoiler alert. Um, they're being transported, and I think last season ended... The, the ambulance got hit right outside the hospital. And his wife died. Baby survived. So he's dealing with cancer, and his, he's lost his wife, and he's raising now, he's a single parent. But in this whole thing, his, his mentality of how can I help and let's break the rules and heal the system continues. It's, it's never about him. Rather, it's about his patients and his colleagues and his community. How can I help? Let's break the rules and heal the system is what is driving Max. So you heard last week that uh, Greg told you about all the kings, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and Israel and Judah had some, had some Max Goodwin-like kings, but not nearly enough. Uh, eventually, Israel and Judah, or, or Judah, becomes this vassal state, this lesser state to Babylonia, and Zedekiah is installed as king by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Babylon, and Babylon lays siege eventually to Jerusalem after they're a vassal state because they're they're not following how they like to follow, and 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 Nebuchadnezzar finally takes the city and most of the important people in in B.C. 586. The city is burned to the ground. They took everything of value back to Babylon. But Zedekiah, the king, and some of his officials and some of his family got out through some secret passages. Well, they eventually caught up 
to Zedekiah and these folks. They executed Zedekiah's two sons in front of him and then gouged out Zedekiah's eyes. So that was the last thing, thing he saw. And then they took Zedekiah out into captivity, out into exile, into Babylon, and he was imprisoned for the rest of his life. And Judah and Israel were now a people of exile. It's where we find our, our scripture today from the prophet Jeremiah in the 23rd chapter. And he's speaking to these shepherds, these kings who have gotten, taken Israel from a, a land following God to one that's forgotten them. Hear the word of the Lord. Watch out, you shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, proclaims about the shepherds who tend to my people. You are the ones who have scattered my flock and driven them away. You haven't attended to their needs, so I will take revenge on you for the terrible things you have done to them, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the few remaining sheep from all the countries where I've driven them. I will bring them back to their pasture, and they will be, be fruitful and multiply. I will place, them over them, uh, place over them shepherds who care for them, and then they will no longer be afraid or dread harm, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The time is coming. I love that. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from David's line, and he will rule as a wise king. He will do what is just and right in the land. During his lifetime, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety and his name will be the Lord is our righteousness. So the time is coming, declares the Lord, when no one will say, as the Lord lives who brought up the Israelites from the land of Egypt, instead they will say, as the Lord lives who brought up the descendants of the people of Israel from the land of the north and from the lands where he has banished them, so that they can live in their own land. So how did the Jews get to that point where, where they've been banished and, and are living in exile? From this point, we were not just a few months ago where they were following God and, and God promised to be their God and they promised to be God's people, a holy nation. Well, they, they forgot God. They, they did what was right in their own eyes. And the consequence was that God let them have what they wanted. And they experienced the results of what they really wanted. The Jews had lost sight of who they were and whose they were and were in exile. It doesn't take a whole lot of thinking to to parallel some of that darkness and that dark time with, with the, our own times we're living in. There's huge chasms of divisiveness in our, in our country and in, in our world. It centers around politics and ethnicity and race, around economy, around human sexuality, Around the impeachment, yes, I said the impeachment word. 
around quid pro quo. It's quid pro quo that says something for something. You give me something and I'll give you something. And if you're like me, there's this why you're experiencing this wide range of commentary on both sides of the aisle. And it's so much, it's so much information and so many perspectives that it's overwhelming. And I sometimes don't know what to think or what to believe. It's like this fire hose of stuff coming at you, and it constantly feels like. It's centered around what's best for me. Not me, but what's best for me as the the speaker who's speaking it to me. And it's just overwhelming and it's dark and it's foreboding and it's depressing. The Jews had lost sight of of who they were and whose they were and they went into exile. And friends, I'm afraid that that we've done the same, and we too are living in exile. I, I think we're living in exile outside the church, and I think we're living in exile inside the church. We, we've, we've, inside the church, we've made this faith thing a lot more complex and consumeristic than it, than it should be. Outside the world... We've done some of the same things. We made our life so complex and, and so, um, well, so quid pro quo. Well, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. I mean, it's, the good part of that is that's, that's what our nation was built on, this capitalist I- idea. You know, you'll give me this product, I'll give you this much money or trade this for that. But then it seeps into almost every being of where we are, into our relationships. Well, you know, Tracy, I'll, I'll do this and I'll love you more if you do this for me and love me more. With our kids, you know, I'll start, you know, I'll start helping you when you do something around this house and around our friends and, and neighbors and our coworkers. Well, I'll start pulling my weight when, when Joe starts doing what he's supposed to do. And this quid pro quo mentality just, just, it just begins to spread like a, like a cancer inside us and inside our world. And I think we all, leaders and us included, seem at most times to be interested in what's best for me. And I think that puts us into this place of exile, this place of exile from the kingdom of God as it was meant to be. Tracy, a couple weeks ago, talked about many times we hear the idea that that Jesus came to, to turn the world upside down, to right the kingdom, because, you know, the kingdom of God is an upside down, unexpected kingdom. But you say, well, no, it's Jesus is coming to turn the kingdom right. And I think we're living in exile because right now we're living in the, um, the upside-down kingdom. This kingdom built on quid pro quo. But friends, Jesus 
Jesus shows us a very different kind of kingdom and a very different kind of king. This, this Sunday is the Sunday, the final Sunday of the church year. We're, we're celebrating the reign of, of Jesus, the reign of God in our lives, as it will be at the end times. And then next week, we quickly jump to the story of the coming king. The one that's already come, but we're waiting to come yet again. Jesus shows us this very different kind of kingdom, and this, this very different kind of king. Not one that asks, what's in it for me or what's best for me? This is the kind of king in the kingdom of the world that has that the world has been longing for. The kind of king and kingdom that the world has been longing for since the very beginning of time. It was the kind of king, I think, that, that the Israelites were longing for when they asked Samuel to give them a king, like all the other nations. I think they wanted to follow God, but the only example they had was everyone around them. Jesus is the kind of king, and God's kingdom is the kind of kingdom that the world has been wanting since day one, since page one of the Bible. And this is the kind of king that the prophet Jeremiah, in the text we just read, is promising. The time is coming. One from the line of David. You remember that great King David and how wonderful things were? There's, there's another one coming, just like him and better. So it takes us to another text for today, the Gospel of Luke, the end of Gospel of Luke 23. This is a usually one we reserve for Good Friday. It's kind of an unusual text for this time of year. They've, they've led Jesus to Golgotha, to the hill. They also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. And when they arrived to the skull, Golgotha, they crucified him along with his criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they, know, they don't know what they're doing. They drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. And the people were standing around watching, but the leaders sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If, if he's really the Christ sent by God, the chosen one. And, and the soldiers also mocked him. They came to him and offering sour wine and saying, If you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head was, was a notice of the formal charge against them. It read, this is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him, saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him. Don't you fear God, seeing, seeing that you've 
also been sentenced to die, we are rightly condemned. For we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied to that criminal, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. That's our king. This is the same king that after he was baptized and, and sent out into the desert, you remember what happened there with the devil, that he was tempted three times? It's interesting that here at the end of the story, or toward the end of the story, it's not the total end of the story, toward the end of the story, he's tempted three more times by the crowd, by the soldiers, and by the criminal, saying, if you're the Christ, if you're who you say you are, then save yourself. Just like the devil had said, turn this, bread in, turn this stone into bread, and, and if, if you worship me, I will give you this kingdom, and if you are the, the Son of God, then, then throw yourself down and let the angels save you. It was the same temptations toward the end of the book. And just as easily as Jesus could have been tempted and gave in to the devil at the beginning, he could have given in to the cross at the end. The kings of this world would take the deal that the devil had offered him. The kings of this world would, would save themselves from death on the cross. But friends, our king is not that kind of king. And our king does not lead that kind of kingdom. Our king asks, what's best for you? Our king, like Dr. Max Goodwin asks, how can I help? Our king says, let's break the rules and heal the system. For our king, it's not quid pro quo, it's quid pro nil. Something for nothing. Jesus says to us, I'll give you my life so you don't have to give anything. That's the kind of king we have. A loving peaceful, forgiving king that is ushering in a loving, peaceful, forgiving kingdom. Friends, that's our king. That's our kingdom. So let's, let's draw our battle lines around loving God and loving others. Let's be guided by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and let's, let's follow our king's prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's build that kind of kingdom 
alongside our King, Jesus the Christ. For kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. Will you stand? The altar is open.
So friends, let's, let's receive that gift. That quid pro nil gift of something for nothing. And leave this place lockstep with God ushering in this kingdom that is so foreign to our world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen, amen.